0: With Ash Welcome back to the uh, Symposium's F1 Pod. Uh, it's the 2020 Eiffel Grand Prix review. I'm here with uh, Zach, Ash, and Sachin. Uh, full house, which is which is always nice to see. Um, how were you all doing today, Ash?
1: I'm fine thanks bro um yeah I mean I'm happy to have F1 back it was slightly weird this weekend obviously with um no practice at least no Friday practice um and I you know thought that that would you know lead to a bit of excitement maybe the driver's making more mistakes or errors and I'd be one you know interested in wondering what your guys thoughts are about maybe extending that to every race um from now on um, yeah. and that was my initial excitement. And yeah, I mean, I was also, you know, yesterday it was a nice surprise to see Nico Holkenberg back on the grid. Uh, that always cheers me up. I feel like he's one of the most unlucky drivers of the last 10 years in terms of getting a quality seat, a chance to fully challenge for the title, because I think his ability is right up there. His talent is right up there, but he's just never really had the opportunity that others have had, maybe less deserving others but that's that's not for me to say or maybe it is later on we'll see um but yeah it's always good to see him as well and he i uh, had a brilliant drive today i'm sure we'll get into that later so yeah overall i'm pretty feeling pretty good how about you yeah you,
0: you just can't keep nico away from this sport well, i'm doing pretty good it wasn't a bad race to come back after after a week off from f1 sachin tried to uh, bet me a pint that there'd be no wet weather throughout the weekend and he if we had done the bet he would have lost because there was a tiny little sprinkle during the race. Not enough to, to do anything um, mm-hmm. to the strategy. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that would have spiced the race up a bit, but I didn't think it was too bad. Yeah. Right, Sachin? It
2: was a good race. Uh, there was a bit of rain forecast, I think, at the end of the race. I saw the dark clouds coming in. like, oh, if it comes in at right, last lap or something, great watch. But, uh I'll lose my pint, yeah. But... I mean, after Sochi and we had the whole week off, I was craving some racing. <laughs> I was just craving any form of motorsport. There was no MotoGP, <laughs> I don't think. There was no IndyCar.
1: Honestly, Sachin, I thought Sochi would have put put you off motorsport for the rest of your life. Honestly.
2: I mean, Sochi was terrific as well, so that didn't really help anything. Um, but yeah, good race today. Back to some old tracks and yeah.
0: No, nah, well, yeah, we'll I mean, I did enjoy. Later, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I did enjoy some, some nice spinning in the gravel, you know, some some nice fighting and, and, and drivers looking like they're really struggling during the race. I mean, we'll get onto it, but Zach, just quickly, what were your thoughts on the race as a, as a whole? Did you enjoy it?
3: I thought it was a good race. I thought it was a reminder of why we need to go to tracks like the Nürburgring and not tracks like Sochi. So I thought it was a, a really good, a really good race. Lots of excitement, good strategy calls. Uh, safety car kind of made it interesting as well so yeah pretty good
0: yeah pretty much have had everything well well um let's let's just take the weekend as, as a whole um, as Ash alluded to we didn't have practice on Friday because um there was a lot of fog around the circuit which meant that the medical hot uh, helicopter couldn't get to the hospital in in uh, a quick enough time so it, it was deemed unsafe to race and that kind of meant that um like the the start of the weekend was on Saturday. Um, drivers got less practice around the circuit. Um, and I just wanted to know what you guys thought of it. I mean, Sergio Perez said after the race, you know, he he likes the fact that, well, as in he doesn't like practices now, he thinks there's too much. And I think we did see, like, quite a few mistakes um, across the weekend, especially in turn one, the amount of lockups, um, I think certainly made the race more interesting. And you could say, decided the race in a way um with Bottas but we'll go on to that later but quickly what would you guys think of practice being uh, being sort of uh shortened Sachin
2: I think it was a good thing I mean you know, the more data these teams get by running around a track you know for what 40 laps before every race the more data they have the more they know what they're doing and it makes the race a bit more predictable so the fact that we didn't have any practice uh, this weekend shows a that the teams really don't need the practice to actually run a race and do qualifying Um b at least some unpredictability a bit more unreliability, unreli- you could say as well so I think it's something that f1 should definitely consider next year uh, especially considering these cars aren't going to change that much yeah,
0: yeah interesting interesting yeah I th- such an unpredictable result, uh, <laughs> but we'll get onto it. Um, Ash, Ashwin, go on. I know you had some thoughts.
1: Yeah, no, just just to build on that more widely. Just the very last thing that Sachin said. Um, I was just going to say that next year is maybe the most disappoint is, is the, the loss of next year is perhaps the most disappointed I've been about any sport in a long time. Um, in the next year, we were kind of promised for years that brand new kind of technical overhaul. Uh, brand new system of rules, brand new cars, brand new um, even some new approaches to qualifying were on the cards. And obviously, it's good that that's not lost completely, and uh, we'll get it, we'll get it back in 2022 instead. But honestly, I was just ne- the fact that next year is just going to be more of this. This being probably Mercedes dominance on some lukewarm tracks, um, with with some exceptions of course, um, is just slightly disheartening. But but yeah. That's slightly just detached as a point but I just kind of brought I just you know brought it up when um, sachin just said how next year might just be more of the same
0: yeah I mean that I mean that's I think a sentiment shared by many f1 fans but speaking of Mercedes dominance so we move into qualifying uh, Mercedes won two um, uh, in, in q3 but it wasn't as dominant as you might have thought Um so Valtteri Bottas qualified on the pole with an absolute stonker of a lap and um, Hamilton close behind. Well, not close, I mean two tenths behind. And, and Verstappen only, only three hundredths of a second behind Hamilton. So uh, the top three covered by around two and a half tenths is, is, is quite um, a saucy qualifying. Um, yeah, Zach, what did you think? The Red Bull looked like Absolutely. they brought quite a few upgrades uh, to this race. They looked much closer. Yeah, it
3: did. It was it was very encouraging to see Verstappen keeping uh, well, Bottas honest and Okay, Hamilton as well. But it was it was Bottas who really had to to push it out the out there and get the the lap. I just thought, yeah, it was really really well done by Red Bull. There, they they need to really show that they are a credible team going forward because they're losing Honda and that doesn't create all this negative image. So at least on the track, when they can go out there and they can really push Mercedes like that. It's brilliant. And hopefully, hopefully, and I know that this is not not likely to happen, but we might get next year a championship where Verstappen, who will know the car very well and will have had experience with the car, will be able to really push Bottas and Hamilton. Whether it happens, we'll see, but it'd be lovely if it did.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the F1 fans' wet dream is is Verstappen v Leclerc for the championship, isn't it? Um, that, that that that's what we all want to see um, when they both have you know competitive title title winning uh, cars. But um, yeah, Sainz and Bottas. Uh, did get the despite Verstappen having provisional pole position at the start of uh Q three, the second round, Bottas really pulled it out of the bag and I've said before that Hamilton isn't infallible in qualifying, you know, he, he does have the tendency to to drop a couple tenths or make it slight mistakes uh, at times in Q three and Bottas, you know, he did he did put in a good lap there.
2: Yeah, I mean Bottas's lap was I mean if you watch the onboard it was pretty awesome it was it was you would think it was Hamilton driving the car but yeah Verstappen pushed the Mercedes all the way in qualifying and I think that that goes well for the coming races and particularly next year I I think I guess contrary to our Ash things I think next is going to be a great year I mean Red Bull usually develop their car much later in the season anyway they always come good much later on the season and with the kind of stagnant regulations and the cars Coming over from 2020 to 2021, it should mean Red Bull start the year with a good car. Finally, so I think this progression we're seeing from Red Bull, especially in qualifying, where Mercedes are you know over a second quicker. If we go all the way back to you know Austria, I think it's it's promising, promising. Where we to get start, we can go get our hopes about it right at the moment. Knowing how good that Mercedes team is is something I guess we will have to think about individually. But yeah, it was a good lap from Bottas uh yeah i think hamilton really did miss the practice and not having that overnight period to go and do some homework and see where he was lower well i think but uh, i think he adapted better to the situation
1: on saturday i think it was i think we can kind of take something quite interesting from that in that we rarely get to see variables that allow drivers to feel comfortable kind of just removed at short notice and maybe we found something out about adaptability, at least, between Hamilton and Bottas this weekend, at least, obviously very small sample size, that we might not have found if practice hadn't been abandoned. You know, Bottas on the spot adapting, you know, even, even Nico Hulkenberg on the spot adapting in a way that Hamilton perhaps wasn't able to do this weekend might say something about them more fundamentally. Who knows? I don't want to draw that conclusion properly because it was only a very small sample size, but it at least poses a question that we might actually get some reasonable shake up if we as you guys said before, kind of reduce the certainty that these car, these cars, uh, mechanics and drivers have, um, and, and you know reduce variables for them to basically be in control. I mean, might get more excitement as a result.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and talking about adaptability, you have to mention the fact that this is the Nürburgring track that we haven't raced that since 2013. Um, so none of the well, uh, none of the drivers had experience with the new hybrid engines and the new regulations. Um, of of this track, they had no experience, prior experience. I mean, the the last winner of the circuit in 2013 was Sebastian Vettel, who uh, qualified a, a measly 11th, uh, completely outqualified by his teammate Charles Leclerc in P4. Um, Charles Leclerc putting a big performance in, um, as you do, and just showing his massive pace and uh, managing to qualify so so high up. Um, yeah, I mean, a great performance from Leclerc, Zach.
3: Yeah, it shows how times changed, doesn't it? If uh, we've gone from Vettel being on pole—well, not pole, winning the last race—he wasn't on pole. It was Hamilton, wasn't it? From winning the last race to to this performance, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. He spun behind Giovinazzi. We'll go to that later. But with with qualifying, at least, I just don't understand how Vettel is so far behind Leclerc. Leclerc is on fire. It has to be said, and he's he's proving why he is a future champion in the making, potentially. But I, I just don't know what to say about Ferrari and, and Vettel. Uh, Leclerc just seems to hook that car up. He drives it flat out as hard as he can. And he was so far ahead. And Vettel's not a slow guy. And you look at his lap. It was a pretty good lap, actually. Pretty neat. But that wasn't fast enough. And he didn't didn't do anywhere near as well as he should have done, comparing it off, off his teammate. I just... I, I feel as though... It, it, I think I said this in previous podcasts. If Vettel makes it to the end of the season, I will be surprised. And I think that qualifying performance to me suggests that there's some maybe a bit of momentum gathering behind Who's that. Best argument. He gave up? Yeah, I'm suggesting he'll, he'll, he'll do what um, the most recent person did, Marcus Ericsson, did, uh, when he left Caterham to go to Sal, but He'll just bugger off before the end of the season and go and start working, he'll go on to gardening leave, or he'll start trying to work with his new team straight away because. You look at the qualifying result and you just think, did he even bother turning up? Was he stuck in Cologne or something? Because he was so far behind his teammate, he might as well have been. <laughs> I mean,
0: the yeah, the, 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 the difference between the, the laps, Ferrari team the Ferrari teammates, team was uh, 5 tenths, yeah. half a second, which is uh, a ridiculous uh, disparity. I mean, the only comparable one this weekend was between Sergio Perez and Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, except Nico Hulkenberg actually had an excuse because once again, he had to be drafted into the racing point seat, this time replacing Lance Stroll, who was feeling unwell. We don't know whether he has coronavirus yet, but out of precautionary measures, um, Nico Hulkenberg was drafted in and unfortunately he qualified last, but as we'll get on to, he did have a very solid race result. Um, Yeah, I mean, when there is such a big gap between teammates, something has to be wrong, whether it's pace or motivation or a mistake. Um, and I think we're really seeing, as, as Zach said, we're really seeing uh, Vettel just losing all motivation, and I, I like you, wouldn't be surprised if he leaves
1: the seat um, before the end of the season. I mean, all
0: right, like, let's, let's move. move. Oh, go on, Probably
1: go on, Ash. Sorry, quick, just quickly. I mean, we can say the reason why Alonso didn't quit on McLaren is only because, you know, in a similar vein, is only because they were, like, guaranteeing him cars in, in, in other series. And as a result, he owed them something or they were kind of incentivizing him in that manner, in a way that I, I would have thought that what Betel did, I would have just, just say more broadly, I'm, I'm surprised it's not more common, this breakdown, especially when there's a contractual issue or driver knows they're leaving, that we don't see a more public breakdown. I guess maybe we're paying more attention to this because it's such a high profile relationship that is you know, geared up for so many years and it was a tighter challenging relationship and it's just breaking down. So that obviously kind of adds more Adds more press to it, but it's just surprising to me that we don't see this more often. It, you know, in a kind of like the way we do with other sports, you know, fall out from a footballer leaving a club, you know, unamicably. Um, I'm surprised you don't but see mean, this more uh, there's,
0: there's plenty of examples from this year of teams leaving, yeah. their um, players, drivers leaving their teams and knowing that before the end of the season. I mean, science, mm-hmm. Ricardo, and they've all been really respectful as a whole. Um, I just say that the relationship between Vettel and Ferrari seems to have soured, whether it's the challenge of Leclerc, it's the fact that Ferrari's strategy may be called into question. Maybe Vettel's frustrated at himself because he's making so many mistakes during races. Um yeah, we, we can't really say, but all we can say is that the relationship is completely fractured at this point. Um and I'm I sure it's something how, that will we,
1: that will develop throughout the season. Can't. I love how we cite half a second as such a big difference as well, when we've seen Hamilton come like seventh, tenth, eight, tens ahead of Bottas before. Yeah. <laughs>
3: that's that's true. That's true. Um, it, it's also worth noting as well that the, the Leclerc it was so far ahead of Vettel that if we look at when Vettel used to do that and be so far ahead of of, of his teammate, last like person him. we're talking about on that, and it was probably Sebastian Bourdais, mm. going all the way back to 2008. And look at what happened to him. He was. Thrown out pretty publicly in two thousand and nine. So, are we in some? i Was are we surprised to see what we're seeing now? Because he's just getting what he did to suck to other people.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds. Yeah, um, that's a pretty good comparison. Sebastian, who? Um, <laughs> let's move on to the. Uh, let's move on to the race. Um, so yeah, uh, cars line up for the start of the race, and it was quite an eventful first corner um, at the front. I mean, we're so used to Hamilton having the lead having pole and then racing away but this time it was Bottas on pole and um Hamilton seemed to get the better start uh passed Bottas into the into the first corner but then Bottas somehow found his way around the outside of turn one and uh and kept the position uh, Hamilton was surprised at the sort of the aggression shown by Bottas uh uh, he said in his post-race interview, he was like, "Oh, fair enough. Well played, Bottas." Sachin, what did you think of this of the of this move of the first lap as a whole?
2: Well, yeah, into into the first corner, I think everyone had cold tires and understeered and locked up wide. Everybody did. I don't think anybody got on the inside line, which would have been quite good considering no one was there to take some free positions. But yeah, Hamilton and Bottas going into turn one, they both go quite wide. Bottas ends up going over the grass and over the curb to rejoin yeah. the track and Hamilton leaves him the room which was quite surprising I felt I think Hamilton was being a bit cautious there you know he's in the lead of the championship he doesn't necessarily need to win the race he knew Bottas would be around them would probably may try something so I think, I think Lewis left the room there knowing also that it's, that's his teammate as well so if that was you know that was Verstappen or Leclerc there maybe not so much room would it let let them get squeezed out yeah I think even in his post-race interview Hammond was like he said he was proud of Bottas which was quite weird he said he was proud that Valtteri made the move which I, I guess these sees how little respect
1: he has for the man in real, so real patron- come back <laughs> it's so, it's so and patronizing it's just I, I mean, such I mean, a though, dude, the worst thing is right you can't even You can't even, like, blame him that much saying that. You can say, oh, you know, it's patronizing. But, like, that is the dynamic of their relationship at the end of the day. And Bottas has not been able to do anything in three years to change that. Yeah, I mean,
0: Hamilton gave so much respect to Bottas that (laughs) he went uh, into the second corner, that he actually went wide. Verstappen had a look at him, look at Hamilton Mm -hmm. down the inside of turn three, but nothing was doing. So that was really the first lap of the race. There wasn't too much drama. I'd say going down the field, Um, and uh, yeah, we just sort of settled into a nice rhythm. Uh, Bottas leading from Hamilton, leading from Verstappen, and and those three just bottled. They they went into the distance so fast because P4 was Leclerc. He was uh, Leclerc, who was the bottleneck. Um, I think it was Ricardo Perez. Science Norris, they were all trying to get past Leclerc and yeah. fourth. And I think by the time it was lap nine or something, um, there was about an eighteenth second gap to the front three uh, before Ricardo finally passed Leclerc. I mean, I, d- I did think Leclerc did some nice defensive driving, right? I mean, yeah, it, I mean wonderful. he did quite well to keep yeah. evidently very faster cars behind him. Remember, uh, it was yeah,
1: exactly. last year? Was it Vienna last year where where Leclerc pulled off those great defensive moves against Verstappen?
0: Wait, there's a Grand Prix Austria, in
1: Vienna? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a
0: little laughs> Austria. Yeah, yeah, the Austria, yeah. um, Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, Zach, what did you think of Leclerc's performance as a whole? He ended up finishing, I think, sixth place, which is fantastic in, in a Ferrari, Se- isn't
3: it? I think it was seventh, actually. I think, seven, seven. Yeah. Um, I think he did a brilliant job. I thought, well, actually, his, de- his defence out of turn one, going into turn two, that little complex. He had so much practice that by the end of the race, he just knew exactly all the lines he could take. <laughs> brilliantly and uh, I, I think he, he showed why he's Ferrari's future in that race because he has such a rubbish car under him and yet he was able to drag it to points yeah you know, he was much slower than the Renault much slower than the racing point much slower than the, the Alpha Tauri even but he still managed to pull that off pretty well I think what's also worth noting as well in all of this is that when, when all these people were, were worrying about whether Leclerc would be the right guy for the future, I think it's races like today that have shown, and, and this weekend, that have shown he is the right guy to lead that team forward. So I think he drove brilliantly, uh, and yeah, top stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't blame the guy for a lack of motivation after, like, going from winning races last year to this year having a just really uncompetitive car. But he every weekend, he drags the best out of the car, and I totally agree with you. He is the man for... Ferrari's future, um, and he, he did a great job in, in in the race today. Um, Yeah, just going back to the race, um, I think it was pretty much status quo until um, lap 13, where Bottas, uh, ha- well, uh, as Sachin said, I think he had some cold tyres leading to, to graining on his uh, front right tyre, and he locked up into turn one. And um, Hamilton sailed through into the lead, and uh, another mistake from Bottas really, I guess you could say, cost him the race. Although we'll go into later what what happened to him, but he did lose the lead on on, on lap thirteen, and it was pretty pretty poor of him to be honest, Ashwin.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was actually surprised just then, Lawrence, that you were giving um, Bottas that much credit in you know citing the tires, because I thought you know as usual um, we all of us would, especially you would would just kind of you know say to him you know another unforced error. But you did you did eventually get to that. You know, Whatever the cause of the incident, whether it was Bottas' own mistake or, or the tyres genuinely were just not usable, we ne- we'll never know. But um, either way, it's just another example of when you look at the race board at the end of the day, Hamilton ahead of Bottas, this time far ahead of him, and Bottas in a position to actually do something and it ended up not happening for whatever reason. Now, eventually, you know, we can say he gets unlucky or... Um, you know he's subject to you know mechanical issues, and we'll get to his mechanical issue later on, as you said. But you know, eventually the numbers do speak for themselves, and as we say before, this Bottas six or whatever we're on just doesn't seem to cut the mustard. Yeah,
0: yeah I, I completely agree. Yeah, Zach.
1: No, I was
3: just disagreeing with Ashwin. It really it, Bottas needs to pull more out of out of the out of the out of the because it's just how on earth. He beat Lewis Hamilton. It just seems that everything he does, it has glimpses of brilliance for, you know, about a race, two races, maybe a couple of races, but then it disappears. And it's only when Hamilton screws up that Bottas can come back. And you're never going to win a world championship that way. I mean, you have to be very lucky. You just, yeah. you, you will be a world champion if you are the fastest guy out there. Draw your competition. Okay, Rosberg does not do that. Yeah, KK Rosberg in tell on that one to disprove me. There.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think all the all the critics he told to fuck off a few uh, like a race before have all come That's crying awful.
1: back. <laughs> 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 and uh, six laps so after he's gonna you shouldn't tell your critic you shouldn't do a critic you shouldn't just when you're on top right you shouldn't like get so loud because yeah. it's just worse for you when you inevitably go back down
0: again exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. he's really he's really eating some humble pie and and it yeah. went from bad to worse for him six laps later on lap 19 because he lost power in his power unit and um he retired from the race so i mean i guess all the optimism of like a big mercedes fight uh, for the lead sort of went away. And, and after that, we kind of had, um, status quo with Hamilton in the lead for Stappen in second, um, and Ricardo in third, which was, which was really nice. And it was a, it was a, I wouldn't say an interesting race, but you know, we did have a, a different team on the podium. Um, but yeah, there were more reliability issues throughout the race. I mean, Ocon retired, Albon retired. Norris retired, and the Norris retirement was very strange, wasn't it? Because he lost power on lap 26, mm. um, but he kept going for a long time. He, he he survived until something like lap 40, 45, something like that. Um, Sachin, do you have any idea what, what caused this issue with his power unit? Because he managed to stay for quite long. Was it an issue with ERS?
2: I heard it was an issue with a sensor, which basically meant that it wasn't deploying to protect the engine they weren't wasn't deploying the full battery essentially. So right. he was trying to get a he was fiddling switches to get around that, but eventually, I guess obviously the the engine was like, no it must be getting another sensor must have gone off and just killed the killed the whole thing. So right. I don't necessarily know if the if the if the power unit's dead. Because apparently that was a brand new power unit they put in for this race. So I don't oh, know it's necessarily dead. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it caused a safety car and I I think that safety car, in my opinion, gave Daniel Ricciardo that podium because I think he would have had to stop again behind Perez and would have been probably, I think, 10 seconds behind Perez after having to make that gap up on a fresh set of tyres, I don't think would have been too possible.
0: Yeah, yeah it's funny that you you mentioned that so yeah just before the safety car on lap 46 it was it was as we were hamilton verstappen ricardo but perez was catching ricardo uh, on very well fresh air tires um, and it looked like ricardo would have to stop again um, in order because his tires were basically falling off the cliff so the safety car comes on lap 46 because landon norris i think he did a quite a good job parking his car in a in a position considering where he sort of retired but safety car was deployed allowing everybody in the field to uh, grab a free pit stop onto, onto soft tyres because it was only like 14 laps to go. They were able to to pit onto the faster and fresh soft tyres to go to the end of the race. Um, so that meant that Ricardo managed to keep third place. And, uh, yeah, it was all set up for a, a nice finish, wasn't it? Um, eventually, when, when the safety car came in, uh yeah zach what did you think i i thought i thought the safety car came at the perfect time to spice up the race it didn't really pan out like that but you know it did back everyone up but you know the the complaints about hamilton and verstappen for the safety car going too slow and causing uh their ties well to basically cool up what did you think of that do you think the safety car should have been called in earlier
3: yeah i think it should have been i think uh there was at least one lap too long. You could argue maybe two or three even, but definitely one. Uh, because they want they wanted to get the field to unlap themselves. And the thing is, you've then got to let them get out of the way for the leaders. Yeah. And that creates a massive problem when Hamilton's lapped everybody up to, what, about fourth? Fifth? Something by that point. or we were, we were very high up the points. So yeah. it was a very bad call and a, a bad rule, uh, I think, in that circumstance. And yeah, I think they stayed out for too long. It, the safety car, it did really have an adverse effect i think as well it all it it deprived us of potentially a really good race between verstappen and hamilton and that's what we really want to see it's one thing saying we want to see bottas and hamilton but verstappen and hamilton because they're in different cars they've not got to have the respect your teammate side of things they can just go for it and if they take each other out well you know what it's a risk worth taking if you can win the race if you're at that stage in the race especially for verstappen because he's not in the championship um but I think, yeah, they, they stayed out too long. You could argue they need to change the rules maybe for the future and say in that situation where so many of the cars have been uh, have been lapped, you can just say that everyone goes into order without actually having to do all this unlapping themselves. And then those cars just have to have a bigger sample of fuel to give at the end of the race. And then that way it's still net effects the same because what we saw today with the tyres going cold was not not fair on those guys really it's, it's not right
0: yeah we definitely thinking. saw that going into the final chicane because yeah. uh, Hamilton was able to bolt away but Verstappen and his cold tyres couldn't follow suit so we were kind of deprived from that battle going into the home straight and the safety car coming in Ashwin
1: yeah I was just gonna say I think it's worth mentioning though that this was very exceptional because of Covid that we're in, a, in an environment where the tyres are this cold um, ordinarily the European season would be long long finish like in, in the summer monza i think is usually the final race isn't it in europe and that's september September, early september in italy so that's not not going to be cold um that's true. it is quite quite exceptional and f1 is obviously a warm weather sport it travels the um wherever summer goes around the world it tends to follow um and it's international season so i think that's exceptional but i take zach's point it was relevant today certainly um i think what was kind of disappointing and it was very predictable as well was how the virtual safety car just basically handed the race to hamilton Um, he was able to kind of pit he was able to secure his position and it was pretty clear but even for Verstappen as well that that meant that at least at the very front of the grid there would be no massive shake-up and we were pretty much unless there's an unforced error of some description or some random tyre failure like we've seen earlier in the season we weren't really going to get much more excitement I don't know if you agree yeah I mean um, yeah I,
0: I guess the virtual safety car is kind of annoying middle house solution because uh, I guess if you allow the race to continue as it is, with maybe double waved yellow flags, then that's sort of nice, continue racing. Or if you have a safety car, it's a big mix up of the field, but virtual safety car is just sort of slow.
3: Do you think they hazards. could do what they're doing in Formula Two, where if it's a virtual safety car, you're not allowed to go into the pit lane? I think they should maybe bring that rule over <laughs> to Formula One. I think that'd that would make it quite interesting. Yeah. The
2: issue with the virtual safety car is that it's deployed way too often and then just the us of racing a, a good <clears> race way too often because <clears> everyone gets a free stop every two or three races because of the vsc like i understand yeah we understand why it's there to improve the safety but it's it's flown too much because of incidents i mean i'm just not frankly, against them putting the vsc out bad. there because it's necessary but you're depriving us of racing if you allow the cars to, to cast pit during a VSC. So yeah, I,
3: mm-hmm. I, I think agree.
2: that's one the rules that
1: probably change. Definitely just stop cars from pitting in a, VS, in a VSC. I, mean, I, th- I think we need the VSC because of the Bianchi incident. It stops a race leader from being um, punished in the way they are with a full-on safety car. Whether that's actually a good idea, I don't know. Because if we're trying to make F1 more level, maybe we're just trying to get more safety cars and more in in race restarts. I don't know. That's a that's a debate about the nature of the sport and the policy decisions at the heart of the sport. But at the moment, from the perspective of the of the front runners, the biggest teams, the VSC is preferable, obviously, to a big safety car, and it probably does need to exist after the Bianchi incident and others, um, which yeah. is I guess why it's here.
0: Yeah, so I think after the final safety car, it was pretty much as is. There were a few battles in the midfield, but the front three remained um, Hamilton, Verstappen, Ricciardo. Let's just go over the race classifications if there's anything to note from kind of the races will go up. The, the drivers themselves will go over them. But yeah, so Hamilton wins. Uh, the race, he he, he won, wins his 91st uh, F1 uh, Grand Prix, equaling Michael Schumacher's record. And I think that's something that we will cover the, the Hamilton versus Schumacher debate when Hamilton avenge, uh, uh, sort of inevitably wins his seventh world title, will definitely have a separate pod sort of debating who we think is better. Um, but yeah, Verstappen in second, he actually grabbed the fastest lap at the very end of the Grand Prix by six one thousandths of a second, again, showing the pace that Red Bull had throughout the race weekend. Uh, Ricardo came in third, which I think everyone was happy about um, because... He's a, I think he's a very well liked guy in the paddock, um, and obviously Cyril, Cyril Abitbol will have to get a tattoo, for thanks to a bet that he made with Ricardo about whether he would make a podium this year. Um, what do you guys think of Ricardo's performance this season? Renault seem to have made a step up, but Ricardo, as we know, is leaving for McLaren next season. Has he jumped the gun uh, a bit too early, Sachin?
2: No, I think he's jumped the gun at the correct time. To be honest, um, I mean Ricardo has been the standout driver. I think of the second of his coming into the second half of the season. You know, you can put him. His some of his performances have been outstanding in that car. He's been consistently outdoing his teammate Ocon, and I think especially the last few races, he's been getting top top five finishes, which which is you know that's where Renault that's the improvement Renault have been looking for for a long long time now. In terms of his move to McLaren, I. I still think McLaren is the way to go. If you look at the midfield, there's only about two or three tenths in it. And, you know, the driver can make such a huge difference when it's that close between the cars. And, I mean, secondly, Ricardo's podium today, he was, I still think he was very lucky with the safety car because Renault didn't, they kind of messed up the strategy pitting him that early on the DSC. And, you know, that. Of this season, and they've taken full advantage of other people's operational mistakes, strategy errors, and whatnot, setup errors. And McLaren have just been, while they may not have had, not may not have had the fastest car, they've been outperforming all the teams because they're just on the ball.
0: Well, I mean, Renault, are, I think, two points behind in the championship.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm more optimistic about Renault than Sachin is, to the extent that the Alpine team next year, which is their newly branded team, I think we'll actually get, give them another lease of life um, beyond just just branding because, you know, Fernando Alonso, I think he's, isn't he driving, isn't he driving for them next year? Maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah, he is. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Obviously, he offers up, I think he's a better driver than Daniel Ricciardo. Um, and I think, honestly, that is actually quite a good team next year, especially if the mechanical improvements carry on. I mean, Renault's in, Renault, have honourable intentions in that their desire to team up with McLaren, which was, you know, squandered last year to create this kind of super team that, that was able to match with Ferrari and Mercedes showed that they are really actually committed to the sport. And I think that we should, you know, we should admire that. I think Red Bull, you know, as, as Zach spoke to us about last week, um, will regret perhaps saving their relation so substantially with them. And I think that if, if, you know, they can peg back Mercedes slightly on some of the engine mechanics, that they could be quite good, quite a good outfit for actually quite a few years. Zach, yeah. you, I mean, just wondered, any of you actually, what were your thoughts on the um, like Red Bull issues around Honda and etc.
3: Well, it's a, it's a real disaster, isn't it, for Red Bull? They're, they're going to either have to go back to Renault and, well, basically with a tail between their legs and just look really stupid, or they're going to try and find an alternative, and there don't seem to be any other alternatives. And the problem I think you've got with that is from a commercial point of view, you're trying to negotiate with people who don't really want to negotiate with you. Well, that's never a good start. And then if you don't do that, you're forced into getting an engine that you've publicly criticized. what does that show about your team and your brand and your sponsors if your team's having to go back to using an engine that you slated? Now they might have been completely within their rights to slate that engine, but it doesn't look good either way. It looks pretty bad actually.
0: Yeah, just to give you guys some context, this comes off the back of Honda's announcement that they're going to leave uh, the sport after 2021, no longer going to supply engines. Um, yeah, they've been in the sport since 2015, and they look to have made quite a lot of progress since since that disastrous few years with McLaren. Um, and un- with Red Bull and Toro Rossa, they seem to have made well, a race-winning car, certainly, but not not necessarily championship, but that, that would seem to be the way up. And the fact that they've withdrawn from the sport now could be seen as quite surprising. What are the reasons for the Honda leaving the sport, Sachin?
2: Well, I think the, the, the reasons they gave were, firstly, cost. You know, they it requires a lot of money to develop en- these Formula 1 engines, and they felt the money could be better used to develop um, more hydrogen power and electric battery technology as such. That was their I guess main reason they wanted to shift costs from the hybrid F1 project to more renewable um, I guess future looking projects. That was I guess the reason why what they gave. Do I totally believe that? Um, at the time I, guess I we had a quite a big debate on the on our group chat about this about was this really the reason why they pulled out but uh, I guess looking back on it now having read a bit around and absorbed a few things I think I think that's a valid reason and I think that is somewhat the main reason why they did leave
0: yeah I mean the end of the partnership um is kind of a shame for me personally I think the, the more engine individual engine suppliers in the sport the better right um, I'm a big fan of bringing back Cosworth engines, but I don't think anyone else is really backing me on that. But it would be quite interesting to see what it does to Red Bull's young driver programme, because drivers like Matsushita and Sonoda, I think they're backed by Honda, right, Zach?
3: Uh, well, Sonoda is. I'm not sure about Nobuhari and Matsushita. I know he's backed by Honda, but I don't think he's backed by Red Bull. I think he's actually also left oh. Formula 2. so I think, think he, he was backed Honda,
2: but not anymore. He was, I think, right. backed by Honda, but... And he's been released, I believe, and yeah, he's no longer in F2. But anyway, Gonzac.
3: Well, I think it's an interesting situation for for the junior team. Uh, I mean, I, I can see there's a huge amount of potential in putting Sonoda in and keeping Sonoda on side, even if Honda walk, because he's proven to be a, a really brilliant racing driver. But at the same time, he wouldn't be the only option for them if Honda decide that you know what. We've seen another opportunity that we didn't see when we originally said we were going to leave, so we're going to pull Sonoda with us. Uh, you know, they've got Yuri Vips in, in Formula 2 at the moment, replacing Sean Galeel. He'd be a great uh, asset for the, the Red Bull Junior programme. So I think it doesn't really have too much of an effect now, but whether Honda's decision leaves Red Bull's Junior programme only with Vips or whether they have Sonoda as well, I think that's probably something that time will tell. It depends entirely on what I think to do with Kvyat as well if they mm-hmm. want to keep him
0: or not. Right, well, we'll get on to Kvyat and Albon later because that was an interesting collision um, and that that the Sonoda discussion kind of links to that. But let's go back to the classifications. I mean, Perez coming fourth, a very solid result for, for Racing Point. He maybe had a shot at a podium, as Sachin said. Maybe the safety car kind of uh, prevented him from doing that, but still a very strong performance from him nonetheless. Carlos Sainz comes, came in fifth, another strong performance for him. Gasly in sixth um Pierre Gasly had a pretty good race in my book I mean he started 12th and um after the last safety car there wasn't that much overtaking but his overtake on Charles Leclerc was very fantastic around turn one and turn two w- where other drivers have found it quite difficult to pass Leclerc he, he did do the job um Leclerc coming in seventh Hulkenberg we mentioned at the start you know in qualifying he 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 was at the back of the grid but he came out to eighth with a fantastic drive wrote, he was voted driver of the day at F1, and I think it was a great performance. Brilliant. Um, yeah, Ashwin, what did you think? Hulkenberg? Yeah,
1: Was it strategy? Really,
0: was it pace?
1: I think it's a obviously a mixture of both, as it always is. But I think, honestly, I'm a massive Holkenberg fan. I think, genuinely, it was actually pace. Um, like, you could see in qualifying, he was struggling, just jumping straight into the car and going for a lap. But you could even see his confidence increasing throughout the race. And although you could put it down to strategy, like, it is a good car. It's it's like it. it everyone knows that this year that is a very competitive car. But I think you could tell it was, it was very much also down to his natural ability. And as I said mm. earlier, I think it's a travesty that he's not been given a better car over the last few years. Mm. Right.
0: So Roman Grosjean coming in ninth. He reportedly had to drive through most of the race with... Um, with an injury. Uh, Zach, do you want to elaborate on that?
3: Yeah, so I think what, what happened is Raikkonen must have kicked up some gravel. I think it was around 10, 10, 10 11, that sort of area on the track. Uh, and just as Grosjean was turning the wheel, his his uh, fingers were exposed above the, the top of the cockpit and a stone hit him. And it's quite unusual to hear that. I and mean, I think there are very few times in, 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 in modern Formula One history where that's happened. I think the only instance where a driver's been injured by anything coming towards their car that's you know not a piece of another car i can possibly think of would be a helmet marco so it's quite unusual for for roman grosjean a bit unlucky but at the same time he drove very well through it drove through the pain barrier for once didn't complain on the team radio that much you know he, he kept uh pretty tame for him and just got on with it and yeah i think it, it, it's just astonishing, though, that a stone hit him. I mean, the bad luck that you need. You've got all that protective equipment around you and a stone gets you in the finger. I mean, come on. It's crazy. <laughs> Bring back
0: Thanks. gravel traps, boys! <laughs> um, yeah, such yeah. I mean, Rojan was, was very much helped um, by the safety car because he didn't actually pit on the safety car. He had old tyres, but he did very well to keep the, the, the cars behind him with fresher tyres back, and he managed to get... Um, two points for the Haas team, which is very important. Giovinazzi in tenth, um, solid performance of it from him. Um, yeah, he just yeah, one point for for Alfa Romeo. That's that's great for them. Uh, Vettel, as we mentioned, P11, very disappointing drive from him. Um,
3: well, he's only he's only he's, he's only seven points. So Holcombberg is, is only seven points behind Vettel. And when you look at results like that, it's embarrassing. That, yeah. that, that, that Hulkenberg's <laughs> done three races. Vettel's done at what, 11, is it, by this point? And it's just, come on. You, you see races like that. It doesn't help his cause, does
0: it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Hulkenberg's only actually started two races, and he's only, yeah, oh, seven course. points, as you say, behind Vettel, uh, which yeah. is frankly ridiculous. Um, and he also had a, a little spin behind... He was trying to overtake Giovinazzi into Turn 1, and then he just lost the rear end and went into the gravel track, a tra- trap. which, I mean, it's just... Caps of an absolutely horrible weekend for him. And it's and, and something that we're not even surprised by anymore. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen, 12th. Um, yeah, this was a record-breaking weekend for, for Raikkonen. He he started his 323rd race, which makes him the most experienced driver in F1. Um, again, it's a topic that we'll dive into later but um, in future pods. But, yeah, just shout out to Kimi. Uh, ever present in the paddock Um, just quickly you know Sachin do you see him staying after this year he says the motivation's still there but do you believe him
2: I think Kimi wants to stay Uh, by the looks of it he's found a good balance between you know family life and racing because I mean he lives in Switzerland where the Alfa Mayers team is based he's only I think half an hour drive away from the battery so he has a good a good work-life balance which is I guess what everyone strives for so I don't think he necessarily wants to, to leave. However, his performances compared to Giovinazzi have been quite comparable considering Giovinazzi's inexperience in the sport. So they may want they may be looking at some of the drivers available on the market, like Hülkenberg and Perez, to maybe fill that experienced driver role at Alfa Romeo next year, potentially, along with probably whoever wins the F2 championship, which looks to be Mick Schumacher.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, as you say, I mean, um, uh, the the Ferrari Young Driver Academy is uh, look, well, is a, is a, is a place where they can uh, get seats in Alfa Romeo and Haas. and Kamil lot and Mick Schumach actually missed out on making their practice F one F one debuts um, because of the lack of running in Friday, um, and those are people that might be looking at that spot should Kimi decide to leave the sport. But, you know, um, that's something for for the future, really, to see. Kevin Magnussen came in 13th, Latifi in 14th, Kvyat in 15th, whose race was really ruined by um, an unfortunate incident with Albon. Now, I don't know what you guys think of this, but I think this just strikes of more inexperience and just, frankly, stupidity from Albon. What happened was um, Albon was looking to overtake Kvyat into the final chicane. Kvyat... uh, sort of missed the chicane because he outbroke himself went back on the track and Albon obviously you know having the momentum from the coming out the corner overtook Kvyat but before he had completely overtaken Kvyat completely left a car's length behind him he sort of swiped over and Kvyat's front wing was kaput and I think Albon is just going it's Albon's season is just going from bad to worse to even worse even worse I don't I don't really know um Zach, what did you Zach. think? The move obviously ridiculous. He got a five second penalty. But what what do you think?
3: I, I, I don't understand what what he was thinking. I mean, where was Kvyat gonna go? He, he album was on the right hand side. It was a right hand corner coming up. The left hand side was only gonna be so so wide, and and it was just completely unnecessary. And I, he'll look back at that and he'll look at that and just think, oh, what a stupid move that was. But he, he needs to not be doing that. He it, So many people are questioning him. And to do something that you would expect someone to do in a go-kart on an arrive and drive is a bit silly, really. It wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, it
1: was a very, Did very junior think, move. Do you always think that his time is over at Red Bull?
2: Yes. No. Yeah. Ooh, um, okay, um, Sachin,
0: Sachin, go on.
2: I don't think his time is over at Red Bull because Red Bull... Aren't it's not the same situation as Gasly was in when he was in Red Bull. Yes, Albon uh, performing much uh, is performing, uh, being outperformed by what sometimes a second in qualifying by Verstappen, usually around seven tenths at the moment, which is around about what Gasly was doing. But if you look at uh, the main takeaway, I guess from the drive to survive series from last year was that there was much more to it. With Gasly than just the lack of pace. It was the way he worked in the team. They they didn't like it how he got hung up on things. While with Albon, a I think he showed he has showed when he's not making silly errors, silly rookie errors I should say. He can he can gun through the pack. He can race, which Gasly hadn't did not have the confidence to do in the Red Bull. And moreover, I think the Red Bull structure has changed in how they are treating the AlphaTauri group now with Tor Rosso now being rebranded at AlphaTauri I think Red Bull honestly want to have two leading teams on the grid to promote both brands equally as such and I think they see Pierre Gasly as a leader of the AlphaTauri team and they see Verstappen as Red Bull's leader and I think they feel that album they can still develop into a good number two driver for Max Verstappen And so that's why I don't think, yeah, Gauti will necessarily get the promotion to Red Bull, because I think they want him to lead that AlphaTauri team to the next level, especially when the new regulations come in. And Red Bull can probably spend more money on AlphaTauri with the budget cap coming in now. So I don't think then there's anyone really they could replace him with, unless they look outside of the junior program, which they... While well, it has been rumoured they have been doing, they haven't had have a history of doing. So I don't think they'll start anytime soon, to be honest.
0: Hmm, that's a very interesting perspective. I mean, yeah, um, the, the the change to Red Bull structure would be certainly a departure from what we know. Um, it's, it, uh, from what you're saying, it's no longer going to be a senior and junior team. Um, yeah, I think it's the first bit of positive news, news for album that this pod has come out with. Um but yeah I mean I think this is quite a good note to end on. Um yeah thank thank you guys uh, that was a not so succinct review of the Eiffel Grand Prix, but there's a lot of issues mm. that we 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 had to unpack. Um but yeah, thanks, thank you, Zach, thank you, Sachin, thank you, Ash. When you all say bye, yeah. bye at once. Bye,
1: bye, bye. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Nice, nice, bye.
1: Right, good boys. See you next you. time. See you. <laughs> Symposium with Ash Orlach.